So we'll start in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 12. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear, bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Strong speech there from Paul. Um, good morning, Marcella. Good morning, Pat. So, you know, we talked yesterday a little bit about how Paul's turned this corner to kind of playing out theology to just, he's just, he's just mad. <laughs> he's just letting them have it. And uh, line by line, it, almost choppier thoughts. You know how sometimes when somebody gets upset and, and they're not, always they're logical but the connections between the logic the filling in that makes that the sentences make a little more sense sometimes is not there and and he's just like flat out had it and and uh, uh you know at the end and I, I don't know how your translation puts it mine put it there in verse 12 that he wishes they would just emasculate themselves and he's like hey if they're so stuck on circumcision just go ahead and make yourself a full eunuch you know just just be done uh and um but it also was a term that was used to mean like excommunication. And so he was kind of saying, hey, they might as well just they might as well just leave. If they're going to continue to make an issue, then they might as well just leave. Hey, good morning, Kim. Um, and, and so today I want to look at uh, two key concepts that are in those verses, uh, Galatians 5, 1 through 12. At the end of what we read yesterday, um, in verse five, there's this term, hope of righteousness, hope of righteousness. So if you caught that in verse five, for through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait. We wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, what does that mean? And don't we have hope now? Um, you know, Paul was kind of talking about one, maybe the, the final acceptance of believers by God, right? That final time. Good morning, Katie. That that day and age when we go to we go to heaven, right? That final hope. Um, maybe it was that universal time of judgment and justice. But um, you know, up to this point, he's talked throughout the scripture, throughout Galatians. Good morning, Jody. He he's talked about how this has taken place. We have hope. So why now does he say we wait? for our hope. He's talking about how we have righteousness, but now he's talking about a future 
hope and righteousness. And so on another day, I kind of termed it this way. In theology, there's a lot of nows and not yet, right? There's now, we have hope of righteousness now, but it's not a perfected righteousness not yet, right? And so he's talking about this whole now and not yet. It, uh, and so if we're too caught on the not yet, we go, do we not have hope? Do we not have righteousness? This is where the doctrine of assurance comes in. So, so far we've talked a bit about justification. We've talked about uh, atonement. We've talked about adoption. Um, we've talked a little bit about the the kind of the Calvinist, uh, once saved, always saved to the Arminian, uh, free will and where we fit in the middle of that with Western Arminian in view. And, uh, and the, the thing that John Wesley, when he took that view, so remember Calvinists over here with that once saved, always saved. You're baptized as an infant, doesn't matter how you live. Um, you know, that's the far extreme and, and you could live like a heathen the rest of your life. But hey, you know, I asked Jesus in my heart one time. And so therefore it's hell insurance. I'm okay. Well, not very scripturally sound at points, right? And again, that's a far, far extreme, lumping a lot of Calvinists into one one extreme, okay? And, and then you have the far end Arminian, which they kind of do to us, lump us all the way, all the way over here, where you you uh, somebody cuts you off in the middle of the road, um, you see a car, let's put it this way, you see a car coming at you head on, and in your mind, you think a bad thought, maybe even a swear word comes out of your mouth, and car hits you, you die. Well, you don't get to go to heaven because you just lost your salvation. <laughs> That's the far end Arminian view that really had no assurance. And Wesley, who was an Anglican priest who actually would have been trained as a Calvinist, really got to enjoy and love the Arminian way of thinking and said, you know what, you guys are using somewhat the same terms but coming out with a different kind of logic with it. And, and so he goes, I'm an Arminian, but I believe in assurance. And assurance, that's the hope of righteousness, is assurance. So assurance is a term that uh, is exceptionally rich in spiritual meaning. It signifies the joyous, unwavering confidence of an intelligent faith, the security of fearless trust. That was a definition I found of it. Um, it's confidence of faith, and it's based not on works of righteousness. Again, it's that justification by work. It's not based on that at all. It's not based on that which we've done, but it's based on the high, <laughs> high priesthood and the atoning sacrifice that Jesus did for us. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit that we accept this assurance. So it's the now and not yet. We can have assurance in Jesus Christ that we are saved and we continue to grow in it. It's now and for all eternity. It's produced by faith. We, we produce it by faith. You can read that in, in Ephesians 3.12 or 2 Timothy 1.2 or Hebrews 10.22. That assurance is produced through faith. It's made full by our hope, our hope of the now and not yet, our hope of now and the eternal life that Hebrews 6, 11 and 19 talk about that. It's made confident in love or confirmed in love. It's made confident and confirmed by love. It grows out of that. 
First John 3, 14 and 19 or First John 4, 18 all speak of that. And it's the effect of righteousness, you know, effect, not effect, effect. It's the result of, it's the consequence of, it, it brings about, causes to happen, righteousness causes assurance to happen, right? So it's kind of the circular moment that we begin by our saving moment and our justification and our adoption and atonement and believing in that those free gifts, those faith, the Holy Spirit begins to give us another faith, which then produces righteousness, which then produces righteousness, then continues to give us more assurance and more assurance produces righteousness. You get the circular effect, right? You know, you, you almost can't have one without the other. And their gifts of God. Assurance is a gift of the Holy Spirit and righteousness is a gift of Jesus Christ and his atonement. So faith produces hope, which produces love, right? That's assurance in our lives. John Newton put it this way, assurance grows by repeated conflict, by our repeated experimental proof of the Lord's power and goodness to save. So basically, your assurance continues to grow as you learn more about God, as you experience his free gift, as you experience the righteousness that he gives you. You know, there's a whole lot more that can be said about assurance, but, but, but I want to make just the point right there. Extreme five-point tulip Calvinist. I've heard pastors in the pulpit of large churches with this belief go, you know what? For all I know, before I die, I, I might not be one of the elect. I, I might not be. And this is somebody who is preaching to a church of thousands. He goes, I just have to trust God's sovereign will that I was one of the chosen elect. There is no assurance. For all he knew, every bit of his faith and everything he had done in his life would all be for vain, for naught. There's no hope in that. And John Wesley said, no, there is there's assurance. We can have blessed assurance, right? Good morning, Ray. You know, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, foretaste, now and not yet, right? It, it, that assurance is this now and not yet, that we have it now. We have an assurance of Jesus Christ and his saving grace, that gift he gave us, that gift of righteousness and a gift for the future. Good morning, Hugh. You know, there's this idea of the now and not yet in that gift of assurance. And faith without assurance is a weak faith. And assurance is something we grow. It's assurance is sometimes I've had people call and say, Pastor, I, I need assurance. They were fighting for assurance. But that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. Because in their talking, uh, the most recent one, just even in the talking, they're like, oh, thank you so much. You helped me so much. I just I, I now have assurance. And I'm going, you realize I didn't say a say, uh, say a thing. I didn't say a single word. They just spoke it through, spoke it out. And the Holy Spirit began to speak into their life that they do have assurance that they can believe and accept the gift of God 
which is justification, which is atonement, adoption, assurance, righteousness, all of these things that continue to grow in our lives as we grow in holiness and we grow in sanctification, not because we have to, but because we want to. We're made just as if we hadn't sinned by faith in Jesus Christ. The assurance of that, that comes from just believing and accepting. Belief, faith, leads to hope, leads to love, right? So I just thought that was a term, we didn't talk about that yesterday and what he said there in verse five of that hope of righteousness. And so I wanted to make sure we, we kind of hit that a little bit. Now, the other one that he talks about here, if you, you go down in the passage and down in verse 11, he goes, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So if circumcision is what saves you, then why the cross, the offense of the cross? Because sometimes we, we miss what that meant, right? What, what is the offense of the cross? Well, you know, it was the curse of the cross. Remember it said in the Old Testament, a cursed is the one. Yeah, we want to, we're willing. That's right. You know, curse of the cross is, it was this, uh, you know, it was cursed to anyone who would die on a cross, right? And, and that was in Isaiah when the Roman crucifixion wasn't even a thing. And so it really didn't make sense. They didn't know what it meant. Um, and I just said that was in Isaiah. And actually, I don't remember now. That's Psalms or Isaiah, so don't quote me on that, okay? But, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, it says that, you know, cursed is the one who, who dies on a cross. And so the Messiah was not supposed to die. That was an offense to the Jewish belief. They had been taught that this Messiah would come as a conquering, ruling Messiah. So there was an offense to this. Maybe a stumbling block for many Jews to come and accept that Jesus was truly the Messiah because, I mean, he died on a cross, but then he rose again, right? Uh, they expected a warrior. They expected a warrior to come. He was supposed to come and take them out from underneath the Roman opposition, that they would set up the Israelite state. Restore the 12 tribes, which still hasn't been done to this day. And so what Paul is kind of speaking to, which is the challenge for all of us here, even in, in, in the evangelical church, in the Christian church. You know, one time we called it fundamentalism, then we called it evangelicalism, and there's been different terms for groups of churches but sometimes in our churches call it what you want whatever fad you want but sometimes we seek to remove the offense of the cross in our preaching in our witnessing in our, in our lives we seek to make the cross more palatable seek to make excuses. Well, you know, did Paul really mean, did this really, 
you know, the Michael Card, I, I don't know if he coined it, but there was a uh, album and a song called The Scandalous Grace. He talked about the scandalous grace. You know, the death on a cross was scandalous to the Jewish race. Hanging out with sinners was scandalous to the rabbis. And yet Jesus did it. Scripture tells us he chooses the fool, the scandalous, the fool, to shame the wise. He chooses the weak to confound the strong, right? He chooses the fool to confound the wise and chooses the weak to shame the strong it's it's not palatable it, it doesn't seem right it, it's it's so anti-culture if you want to be a leader among me serve the greatest among you will be a servant those aren't cultural things that isn't the fin for yourself survival of the fittest it isn't darwinism it, it, it doesn't fit with our political systems And so as a church and as believers, may we beware of seeking to make the message of Christ more palatable. Doesn't mean that we knock people over the head with their sins. Because any truth without love is not truth at all. that we don't water down the grace by choosing works over faith, by being more focused on what we do for God than what we do with God, being more concerned about a number than we are about an individual. I think the biggest way so I'll say it right now um, I vote in a particular party I do you could probably guess what that is um, but what breaks my heart is when I see leaders who bleed more for their political party than they believe for Jesus Christ. We water down the scandalous grace of the gospel because Jesus would not have been considered Republican or Democrat. He wouldn't have. Sometimes in our evangelical circles, we make him very staunch who he would vote for. We water down the scandalous grace of God by trying to say that he is only for certain people. And can I take that another step? I love my country. 
I support my men and women who are on the front lines. But let's say even World War II, Jesus wasn't only in the bunkers of the allies. He was present in the Axis. <laughs> he is as present in Iran and China as he is in America. His blessings are for all humans who will turn to him. And when we try to make the gospel an American one only, a Caucasian one, maybe, a rank one, a role one, we forget. We seek to water down the gospel to make it more palatable. We forget the true scandalous grace of Jesus Christ. You know, we could go into church history at this moment, and I, I won't go into all of that, but when you look at the Orthodox churches and what happened with the Great Schism, it was the first time Rome, the one that kind of came out in the lead, Rome became to be more for the rich. Rome became a political party. The Roman Orthodox Church spent more time in politics and trying to rule kings than they did trying to help the poor and the needy. And much of the real life scandal that we've seen in the historic church has come out of that desire to please a certain party to please a certain rank of individual, the rich and the wealthy, the politician, because they watered down the gospel. And this is where you hear Paul just crying out, it is not Christ and something else, it's Christ and Christ alone. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he preached that I only will preach Christ and him crucified. It didn't mean he didn't talk about other scriptural things. It just meant I'm not going to spend my time fighting battles that go off on the tangents that aren't scriptural because of fear that I do not want to lose the scandalous grace, which is for all people regardless of race, regardless of rank, regardless of their roles. It's for every single human being we come in contact with. And that grace is powerful enough to reach out to them. The hardest heart, the hardest skeptic, the highest junkie. and the most watered down believer, right? He can reach us all. Now, please hear me. This is not an anti-Republican or anti-Democrat speech. This is not an anti-America speech. It's just, may we beware of the eisegesis, the reading into scripture things that apply to us without first 
looking at how it applied to who it was written to. Written to people in persecution. That the government was seeking them. Written to believers in Iraq and Iran right now where the church is growing exponentially. Even under severe persecution and death. Because to them, it's a scandalous grace. It's a grace that gives them life now and in the not yet, in the heaven and future for for eternity. It's life-giving. That's the scandalous grace that sometimes we miss. My challenge is that we would again find that. It's a countercultural, topsy turvy. Uh, Craig Rochelle said, It's weird. We are called to be weird. We are called to be aliens and strangers in this land. We're not to look like them, walk like them, and act like them. You know, I like. I like movies, I like shows, but sometimes it breaks my heart when I see countless pastors posting, oh, have you seen the latest this? Oh, I can't get enough of Tiger King or whatever the latest one is on Netflix and I've never watched it. So I pray that you would just sense that scandalous grace that's reaching out to you in a brand new way today, reminding you of who you are in the great I am. You're called to be different. You've been justified, you've been adopted, you've been atoned for, and you can have assurance in Jesus Christ and the work that he does. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. If today you aren't feeling assured of your salvation, ask. God, remind us. Grow us in that courage that comes from the faith of our assurance. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would just take those ramblings, take those words. Lord, help us to see the hope of righteousness that comes from you, that assurance that grows righteousness, that grows out of righteousness all the way through, God. They're gifts, not things that we work for. They're things that we get from you. You just have to believe, have faith and trust. Lord, in our lives, may we not water down the gospel. May we not try to make sense of the tough conversations. May we not try to make things easier. Because, yeah, Jesus one time preached against divorce. But he also preached grace. There's a grace for those. He preached against drunkenness, and there's a grace for those. There's redemption. There's healing. So, God, may we not get caught up 
watering down, making it more palatable, less strange, trying to explain away the miracles. The feeding of the 5,000 was nothing but just a, a getting people to share. <laughs> no, God, it was a miraculous event. That the plagues in Egypt weren't just a natural phenomenon that happened at a certain time. No, it was God ordained and brought on. Lord, may we never water down our gospel. May our salvation, our hope, be in you and you alone. Not in the changing tides of politics, not in the changing tides of governments, not in the changing tides of nationality, race, rank, or role, but may our foundation be squarely placed in who you are. and who you've made us to be. God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory in the now for the future hope of the not yet. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow morning. Remember, this Thursday is National Day of Prayer, and while we're not in churches uh, and coming together, we can still do that from our home. So remember to pray for those in positions over us in both parties, that we pray for our governments, we pray for our first responders, that we pray for our nation. We pray for our nation that God will rise up and heal our land. That's what we're called to do. We love you. Have a great day. God bless.